Season 1, Episode 4. How to change your home decor with the seasons. This is the Modern Homemaker Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camps, and you are welcome to join me as I discuss all things home, from cooking to decorating and everything in between. So pop the kettle on, let's get started. Hello Modern Homemakers, how are you today? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Modern Homemaker podcast. I hope you are doing well and keeping well in self-isolation. I am now, as of today, it's been five weeks, five weeks or six weeks, one of them. It's all blending into one now, isn't it? Um. But yeah, still just trying to keep myself busy, working on the things I enjoy, doing more baking, doing more cooking, and just trying to stay positive. And on that subject, uh, we it was Saturday night yesterday, so we did our Saturday night fake away. And didn't get to do wings, unfortunately, as I had planned, because when I went to the supermarket to do my weekly shop this week, uh, they, unfortunately they didn't have any wings. And I don't know about you, but I I feel like that's one of the parts of this that makes me the most anxious, this whole situation, is not knowing what you're going to be able to get hold of. And obviously, it's, you know, who cares? There were no chicken wings. It's fine. But it's just something about that just makes me really panicky, you know, the thought that, like, you don't know what's going to be available at the supermarket and, you know, you have to completely readjust your meal plan there and then on the spot in the supermarket. But... Um, I did make an on-the-spot decision that instead of wings, we would have fish and chips. Obviously, I am British, so a bit of a British tradition to have fish and chips. And it's not something I'd ever made at home before, but, you know, it's the perfect Saturday night takeaway food. So I thought, why not fake that? And it went pretty well. I um, got some haddock fillets and made the batter for that and fried those and I also did some chips on the side as well. Uh, They went really well, the chips went really really well Um, and I did a bit of research first. Turns out the trick is to double fry them. So that's what I did, I soaked the, I chipped up the potatoes and soaked them in water for half an hour then rinsed them off and patted them dry. Then You're supposed to fry the chips at a lower temperature for about five to six minutes, take them out, put them on a plate with a paper towel on it. And that's when, in that break, that's when I then did the fish. Uh, And then once the fish is done, you take that out. I just put it in a kind of warm oven to keep the fish warm. And then you put the chips back in at a higher temperature and do another five to six minutes until they've gone golden. And they worked really well. The chips are amazing. The fish, I think probably next time I would be able to improve. Um, It it was perfectly fine, but I I think perhaps I didn't have the oil quite hot enough. I don't know about you, but I'm always terrified of deep frying things. Um, And I literally had, I googled beforehand, you know, how to put out a chip pan fire, how to put out a grease fire. So I had, you know, everything around me, baking soda I had next to me, because apparently you can put that on it to put it out. I get so nervous, so I, I don't think I had the oil hot enough for the fish. Um, so I think I've learned that for next time. I would definitely would like to try it again. Um, and also on the side, I made a, um, a creamy dill sauce, which I thought would be nice to go with it. And that was really simple. It was just, so two parts, sour cream, one part mayonnaise, and then two tablespoons, or for, for my recipe, but you know, to taste uh, some chopped fresh dill. 
and that was lovely. It was really nice for the side. So yeah, it went well. Um, and I'll try wings again next weekend if I can get hold of them. If not, I'm thinking maybe homemade pizza. That could be quite a fun one to try. So yeah, we'll have to see what's available at the supermarket and base it on that. In other cooking endeavors, I am planning to make for dinner tonight, Cornish pasties. Now, if you've never heard of a Cornish pasty, as I mentioned in episode one, I am from Cornwall, which is in the, right in, down in the tip in the southwest of England. And it's a really special place because it's got its own distinct culture and heritage, and in fact, even its own language, the Cornish language. And it's also got a lot of food that is specific to the region. Uh, and probably the most famous of which is the Cornish pasty. And in fact, it is now a protected food. So you cannot call it a Cornish pasty unless it's been made in Cornwall. So probably I'm breaking some kind of law by saying that I'm making Cornish pasties tonight. But I feel like I'm a Cornish woman. I'm gonna claim they're Cornish pasties. <laughs> um, now, this was another New Year's resolution of mine to learn how to make pasties. Because I feel like for a Cornish woman, your pasties are a point of pride. You know, it should be something that you just know like the back of your hand and you can whip up a pasty in no time. And for me, that skill has not quite come yet. <laughs> my Both my grandmothers made delicious pasties and my mum does as well, she makes lovely pasties. So this is definitely something I want to get down. I think where the struggle comes is it's not quite the same standard short, short crust pastry, um, you know, that you would ordinarily make. I use the pastry recipe that my nanny Jean used, who is my nan on my dad's side, and she actually won an award for her pasties. They were so good. They really were amazing pasties. Um, yeah, she won an award at her local women's institute for her pasties for very good reason. So I use her pastry recipe, but it's it's quite difficult because it's for the fat content. It's half butter, half vegetable shortening, and that gives the pastry a really different quality um, that can make it quite tricky to work with. Uh, so I even for this recipe in the past have bought a pastry cutter, you know, one of those things that has like a handle and then like several round blades that you use so that you're not actually even handling the pastry because the trick with it apparently is to keep it really, really cool. And if you're rubbing it in with your fingers, of course, you're going to be warming it up with your body heat and the heat from your hands. And I think another thing I've done wrong with this pastry before is to not add enough water because I'm used to, with ordinary short crust, short crust pastry, can't say that, um, I'm used to just adding, you know, just enough water to bring it all together and to, to make it, you know, pliable. And that's all the water you add. And in fact, I've almost been kind of afraid to add too much water. But apparently with this pastry, you actually need quite a high water content. content. I think because of the shortening, the shortening does something... I don't know, the shortening has some different quality that means it needs more water. So I, I feel confident, I feel ready that today's pasty, this is gonna be the day that I master the art of the Cornish pasty and I can stand up in pride and be counted as a Cornish woman who can make a Cornish pasty. So 
I probably should actually describe what Cornish pasty is for those who don't know what it is. It's it's actually very simple. It's basically kind of a pastry encasing meat, potatoes and turnips. Well, I say turnips, that, that's up for debate. There's a little bit of room for customization with a pasty. Not much, not much. You don't want to go putting no peas in there or anything like that. Don't get crazy here. But, you know, some people put turnip in, some don't. Some people put onions in, some don't. Person, I, I think most people put onions in, but I don't. Just because I don't love onions, Dave really dislikes onions. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's a combination of a few, you know, very simple ingredients, but it is delicious. And it really is, for me, coming from Cornwall, it's a taste of home. So that's my big plan for the rest of today. Also last night, I did with my family back in Cornwall over Zoom, we did a virtual family pub quiz. And that was really fun. Um, And I just wanted to share a few of the ideas I had from that because I think when, when I was designing the quiz, I wanted it to not just be, you know, your standard current affairs, history, geography, sports, I wanted to make it um, a bit more customised to the family. So I wanted to share that um, just in case these ideas are useful for you and you're thinking about doing a quiz but wanting to make it a bit more fun and and customised and personal. Uh, So one of the rounds I did, perhaps one of my favourites, was a round that I called Whose Caption Is It Anyway? And so for that one, I went through uh, the social media profiles of the people taking part and I took captions and then I would ask people, whose caption is this? And it was really fun, actually. And I think it got a lot of laughs from people as well. You know, people's more silly captions or people's captions that are very kind of idiosyncratic to them. Um So that was really, really fun. Uh, People enjoyed that one, trying to guess like, oh, who was it that said that? And another one I did was a kind of emoji charades. And so I I did, I did it for Cornish place names, which obviously might not be, uh, you know, uh, 100% appropriate for your family. But I'm sure you could think of something, you know, that works for your family. I did Cornish place names and spelled them out with emojis. So, for example, one of the easier ones, I think, uh, there's a place in Cornwall called Godolphin, which is spelt like go dolphin. So I did a set of traffic lights and a dolphin. So you see how that kind of spells go dolphin. And that was really fun. I think everyone really enjoyed that one. Um, And I think, you know, it got people thinking, so that was fun. And then I also did around, again, you know, probably not relevant for everyone, but just to kind of spark your ideas about, hmm, how could I translate that into something that would work for my family? I did a round that I called Across the Pond to kind of acknowledge the fact that this quiz was happening across the pond. Uh, obviously, me and Dave being in Canada and the rest of my family being back in the UK. So that was, um, I gave them eight British words, British terms. And then the quiz was to name the North American term for those things. And that was really fun. Um, So for example, aubergine in the UK is eggplant over here. And tights in the UK is pantyhose over here. I feel like that's one of those words, pantyhose, that you can't say in a British accent. You have to say it in a North American accent because how silly does it sound? Pantyhose. (laughs) 
Um, so that was a really fun one as well. And it kind of got Dave involved as well because I made him like say the answers to those in his accent. And that was really cool. So just a few ideas for you if you're thinking of things you can do to, you know, do some kind of activity with your family virtually. Um, I thought that was really fun. So I would definitely recommend that. And now that's enough chatting from me on to today's content. Uh, as you heard from the title, today I'm going to be talking about how to change your home decor with the seasons. And I think that's something that's really nice to do is to kind of herald the seasons in your home and to have your home reflect the seasons. I think there's something really nice about that. I think it just kind of reminds you of the rhythm of life, of the rhythm of the year. And I think it's especially important right now in quarantine when, you know, as we've said before, every day it's kind of starting to blend into one. And, you know, because we're not able to be outside and do things outside and make the most of the seasons in the way we usually would be able to, I think it's even more important to kind of bring the seasons into your home, just to remind you that, you know, time is moving. We are progressing. We are getting closer and closer to hopefully some kind of solution to this. However, there are some practical limitations to changing your decor for the seasons. You know, some of those limitations being for people, you know, in kind of my age group, budget number one, I can't afford to be, you know, completely redoing my house every three months. And also space, you know, I, like I'm sure many people in my in my age group, I, I live in a condo, you know, I live in a two bed condo with not the hugest amount of storage, and the storage that we do have is already pretty much full. You know, I don't have an attic or a cellar or a basement to be able to, you know, have boxes and boxes of seasonal decorations lying around ready to be pulled out in three months. And also, again, like many people in, in my age group, I'm renting. So, you know, I don't have the freedom to be able to make more kind of permanent changes and hang, hang things here and restructure this and yada, yada, yada. Like everything I can do has to be very kind of damage free. So with those limitations in mind, it, it can be quite tricky to really make those kind of changes that herald the seasons in your home. However, there are some ways that I still make those changes, still kind of herald in the seasons and cultivate a seasonal space within my home without breaking the bank, without a need for loads and loads of storage space and without, you know, causing damage or structural change uh, to my home. And number one, which I think is probably the key one, the most important one, is that I designate certain spots in my home that change with the season. So for me, that's the middle of our dining table, so essentially a centerpiece, the middle of our coffee table, and there's also a little spot on the side table next to our couch. And so those spots, I tend to change with the seasons. So for example, at the moment, in the middle of our coffee table, we have a pot of hyacinths because it's spring. And I also have a little jar that I put next to that and I put some twine around it. And that's where I put our Easter eggs from Dave's Easter egg hunt. So there's a little kind of Easter display there. I've also crocheted a couple of carrots <laughs> to just put around it as well to just make a little kind of springtime display. 
And in autumn, I buy a couple of small gourds from uh, from the local fruit and veg shop and I display those in the center of the dining table. So little mini pumpkin and a little, you know, little mini squashes. And that's just a really simple way and a really inexpensive way as well to make use of that space to kind of bring a bit of autumn inside. And then the amazing thing about using fresh squashes and gourds is that those aren't going to keep, those aren't something you're going to store away and use next year. You know, they are biodegradable. And you could even, at the end of the season, they seem to keep a really long time. I'm sure you could use them in some kind of stew or soup. And then at Christmas time, I I think we all think about centerpieces more at Christmas anyway, but that will then, I will put some like little Christmas tree decorations there. And something I really like to do as well is think about decorative items that will span across a whole season. So things like, you know, the little mini gourds that I put in the ta- on the table in autumn, that's not just something that is specific to Halloween. They're not little jack-o'-lanterns and ghosts and things like that, that, you know, really just kind of make sense for one to two weeks, maybe the whole month of October if you're a big Halloween fan. You know, that can sit on my table from September till November. So that's giving me a lot of use of those decorations. Same thing with Christmas, you know, of course, I'm such a Christmas fan. I have got all the Christmas trees and Santas and reindeers and all that sort of thing. But you can also think about Christmas decorations that will span the whole of winter. So things like little frosted pine cones and little kind of greenery garlands and things like that. Things that are winter related and feel Christmassy, but also not so Christmassy that they're going to feel weird to still be there on the 12th of January. And I think the nice thing about having some more perennial Christmas decorations is that it can lessen that Christmas depression that I certainly get when you're taking down all your decorations and your house just feels so empty now because everything's come down and all the sparkles gone and all the glitter's gone and all the twinkly lights. If you've got some Christmas decorations that will also translate into winter, then you've still got some lovely decorations. It's still, you know, you're not completely stripping your home of decorative items and then suddenly looking around at this empty space like, oh, Christmas has gone for another year. That's basically how I feel for the entirety of January. So designating those spots around your home, I think is a really, really good idea. And flowing into that is my second point, and that's seasonal flowers. And seasonal flowers kind of fits in with the designating certain decorative spots around your home, because of course you can put seasonal flowers in those spots. For example, I love at Christmas to have poinsettias around, Like I said, I've got hyacinths at the moment for spring. There are such beautiful summer flowers that are just so colourful and bright, like gerberas. And in the autumn, you can get the most beautiful kind of rich reds and orange and yellow bouquets with sunflowers. And again, with flowers, you know, they are perishable items. That's not something that you're then going to have to put into storage. They have a shelf life. And I think that's almost what makes flowers so lovely as well that you really appreciate them is that they're so transitory you know you've got them there 
for a week probably maximum so you really make the most out of them and, and enjoy them and kind of showcase them and put them center stage in your home because you know you appreciate that they're so beautiful but they're not going to be around forever and I think flowers just add such a wonderful touch to a home such a fresh inviting welcoming touch to a home so I think seasonal flowers is another really good one for kind of marking the seasons in your home thirdly I really like probably like most people, I really like scented candles. And one thing I really like to do with scented candles is to have the scents match the seasons. So of course, in autumn, it's all about, you know, the pumpkin spice marshmallow lattes and all that sort of stuff, all those scents. I love those scents so much. I always get so excited for the season change at Bath and Body Works. I just go in there and just, I wait for some kind of like buy two, get one free deal on their three wick candles and then I just go crazy. (laughs) And that's one of the best things about living in North America, I swear. Sephora and Bath and Body Works. I love Bath and Body Works so much. Their candles are just delicious. And then obviously at Christmas, you move into your more kind of gingerbread smells and pine smells and cinnamon smells. Then in spring, I like to go really floral with my candles. And then in summer, I'll tend to go for really nice citrusy, fresh smells. And I think that's another really nice way of, you know, not just the way your home is looking, not just visually, but also in terms of how your home is smelling. I think the scent of your home is so important to that kind of aura that is created in your home. So I really like to match the seasons with candles. And another idea I heard recently, this is not something I've ever done, but I want to look into it because it sounds really cool, is the idea of kind of putting a big pot on your uh, on your stovetop and then boiling water with some different spices in there or tea bags, like tea bags that are really spicy for if you want to create like a spicy, warm, Christmassy smell, putting cinnamon sticks in there and little star anises and things like that. And I think that's such a good idea because, you know, it's so inexpensive to just have some water and a sprinkle of different spices and just have it kind of simmering away at a really low level. And you probably wouldn't even need to have it simmering for that long, you know. I I doubt you'd have to have it simmering all day. I think once you kind of got it boiling a bit and then just brought it back down to really low, I'm sure the, the smell would be really, really strong and would probably last really well. And I think you could probably bring that into more summery smells as well. I'm just thinking if you were to boil some water, perhaps with some slices of lemon, some fresh herbs like basil, I think that could be really lovely as well. And I just, yeah, I heard that idea the other day and it's not something I've tried, but I just wanted to kind of put it out there because I think that's something that could probably work really, really well. Now, another point that I think is really useful to consider when thinking about bringing the seasons into your home is textile accents. So things like your throw cushions, things like even your tea towels, right? You you have them out on display. I have my tea towels kind of hanging over the handle on my oven. And tea towels are not expensive at all and they don't take up much space to store and you need a handful of tea towels anyway. So one thing I like to try and do is to bring a sense of seasonality into my tea towels even. So I even have one that's got little hearts on it that I put up around Valentine's Day. And then I've got some, I've definitely got Christmas ones like 
Christmas tea towels. I'm such a Christmas fan. <laughs> I've got so many different little Christmas tea towels. And you can get lovely autumn tea towels, floral ones for spring. And that's just such a small accent, but that makes such a big difference in your kitchen. And similarly, on those kind of textile accents, I have such a thing for napkins. <laughs> I am a fiend for napkins. Dave rips his hair out at times at how many napkins I buy. And I'm quite a minimalist person. I really do not have a huge amount of kind of pointless stuff. Not the napkins are pointless, but if you saw how many I had, you'd think, yeah, that's a pointless number of napkins. I will never feed that many people for the rest of my life. Um, but I think it kind of stems from the fact that when I moved here, you know, I had a two suitcase luggage allowance on the plane. So I had to kind of pare back all my belongings. And, you know, I gave most of them away to charity shops because what else was I gonna do? So I came over here with my contents fitting in two suitcases. And that was only three years ago. So, you know, I've been really conscious since then of like, do I really need this item? Will this item really serve a purpose in my life? And if not, you know, the kind of Marie Kondo school, does it spark joy? But for me, and this is probably gonna sound so silly, napkins spark joy. I love napkins so much. And I'm talking about actually just paper napkins. I'm not even talking about, you know, linen, monogrammed, all that sort of thing. I'm talking about paper napkins. They're not even that expensive. You can get lovely ones at like the dollar store even. I have plenty from the dollar store. But I just love them so much. And I've got napkins that match the seasons. I've got Christmas ones. I've got really pretty pastel floral ones that we just used at Easter. I've got more kind of like tropical flowery ones that I use in the summer and lovely autumn ones. I love napkins and I just think, you know, with that simple change of using autumnal napkins in the autumn if you have people around, it just really adds that seasonal dimension to your table. And it's such a cheap and inexpensive and easy thing to buy and change. Uh, so I definitely say napkins as well is another great point to think about. And then lastly, this isn't so much in decor, but it's still in the realm of homemaking and I still think it has an effect and it does help to bring in those seasonal changes to your home. And that's changing your meals with the season and changing the things you cook and bake with the season. So kind of heralding the seasons through your culinary skills. And funnily enough, this came up just yesterday when I was speaking to my granddad on the phone. He's self-isolating alone. And, you know, and I feel terrible that I'm not there to help out more and to, you know, do grocery runs and cook meals for him and things like that. So, you know, the only thing I can do really is to phone him quite often and just give him someone to talk to and to just have a chat. And I like to kind of ask him or prompt him to get talking on stories from the past. You know, even if I've heard them before, I can just tell that he enjoys reliving those stories. And it's so lovely to hear about the times that our grandparents grew up in. They were such simple times and it's just lovely to hear those stories sometimes. And funnily enough, just yesterday, he was telling me about Sunday tea and the Sunday teas that his mum would always make, so my great-grandmother. And he was saying about how the tarts that she made for a Sunday tea would change with the season depending on what fruit was available. So he said, you know, the first tart of the year would be rhubarb, 
And then, you know, you'd go into strawberries and then into kind of gooseberries and blackberries throughout the year. And I just thought that sounds so lovely. And of course, we, you know, we're very fortunate nowadays. We can pretty much get hold of any fruit or veg any time of the year. If it's not in the fresh produce section, you're probably able to get it frozen. You're probably able to get it in a can. But I just think there's so... There's something so wholesome and lovely about marking the year by what fruits are in your tart. And so that's something I always try and do is just slightly change the meals I'm making and the treats I'm baking throughout the year. So for example, making pumpkin breads and pumpkin pies and apple pies in the autumn. That's such an autumnal thing to make. And of course, Christmas comes with its whole host of baking items. We don't even need to go into Christmas. But then, you know, in the spring, using those fresh berries and fruits that are that are coming out in the spring and celebrating the fact that spring has come again and fruits are growing again and we've made it through the winter, I just think that's lovely and such a beautiful way to mark the season change by what you're eating and what you're putting on the table. And I think that's something we tend to do anyway, because I think if you just listen to your body and your appetite, your body tends to want those thicker, stodgier things in the winter and tends to want to eat a bit lighter in the summer anyway. And of course, the added benefit of changing up your baking throughout the year is that your home is then also going to take on those smells throughout the year. There's something so lovely and autumnal about the smell of pumpkin pie baking. There's something so Christmassy about the smell of, you know, mince pies baking. So you get that added benefit of also adding to the scent of your home in a seasonal way. So I hope those ideas gave you a lot of food for thought as, you know, we're entering spring and summer is probably, hopefully, just about around the corner. I'm sure there are lots of ways that you can make seasonal changes around the home that work for you and that mean something for you. And I hope you enjoy thinking about that. So again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It was lovely to have you here. I cannot wait to speak to you again next week. If in the meantime you have any questions or any comments or you just want to have a chat, please do reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is at Miss Lisa Camps and I'd be very happy to hear from you. Otherwise, I will see you again next week and I hope you stay safe wherever you are and have a lovely week. Speak to you soon. Bye.